This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. In this episode, we're bringing you the recording of a session from the Christchurch Manchester School of Leadership, where we welcome Mark Mumford from the Salt and Light Churches to talk about how we can develop people. You can find the full notes on everything that Mark says at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 93. So here is that session with Mark Mumford. So we come today as friends. This is Ben. He's a friend most of the time. And... um, we are from, I suppose you'd know uh, possibly another network called Salt and Light. Um, so we've been part of Salt and Light Network um, for, uh, I've grown up really with it and in it and part of that. Is a, um, and we're going through morphings and changings, much as New Frontiers has done uh, over, over the last few years or so. Um, but I've been, I've been based in Derby, uh, well in the East Midlands actually, for 37 years. Now, I'm actually leading the same church that I've moved to uh, in 1980. And um, I moved from Oxfordshire uh, up to the East Midlands. It wasn't into Derby. It was outside of Derby, a small uh, mining town, which was as absolutely polar opposite to where I came from. I came from the Cotswolds, you know, came from like lovely Cotswolds to what was a pit mining town when they were still mines, before the miners' strike. And if, if I was going to go to um, Rwanda or something, I had prepared myself for it. Uh, I didn't prepare ourselves quite for the same cultural shock that we had by moving into that area. But anyway, we were there. Um, obviously, 1980, I was 11 at the time, and asked to lead this church. And uh, we, we were actually catapulted into leadership in those days, crazily, really. Uh, it was all a bit sort of sink or swim, you know, and I can only ever really talk about the grace of God because uh, it certainly wasn't down to our skills, our experience, our abilities, but there's a sense of God's grace in and through. So uh, over those 37 years, we've morphed and changed. Of course, when I say we've been leading the same church, the point is it's not the same church at all. And, uh, and so uh, we're based in Derby. That's probably where our main congregation still is, but our... We gave ourselves a name back then. Um, so so moved to this little place called Giltbrook. Okay? So Giltbrook is... Almost the people even who lived around Giltbrook didn't know that Giltbrook existed. <laughs> it was sort of like from the traffic lights to the zebra crossings. That, that was like... That was Giltbrook. You didn't even know you'd gone through it, you know? Uh, I went to this little church, 20 people, and it was called Giltbrook Christian Fellowship, you know? So um, around that time, we were going like... The name expresses your vision somehow, you know. So I'm going like. <laughs> so the vision is from the traffic lights to the zebra crossing. That what? We're going to get everybody, you know, saved or something like that. So we're going like, we're, we're young and we're pretentious and we're full of all kinds of stuff. So I wanted to call the church Western Europe Christian Fellowship, you see. Because <laughs> I could always drop the Western after a bit, you see. That's the plan. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> So, that, so that's, what, that's what I wanted to do. Anyway, we, we just knew something. Something was in our hearts, some little seed somewhere 
that just said, we're not called to one place. This isn't like a local parish church that we're, we're here. So we actually called ourselves East Midlands Christian Fellowships, feeling like God somehow called us to the East Midlands. And uh, almost immediately, this little church began to have an offshoot into the city of Derby. And uh, so immediately we're going, oh, this is, this is, we're going to be something that serves the East Midlands. Well, actually, today we still have the same name. That's the name of our charity. We are actually seriously looking at a kind of a rebrand right now. But that name has served us for the last 37 years because it put something into our hearts that said, we're not actually just uh, a local church to one town. But God's called something here that's got, and I'll come back to this in a minute, that's got some sense of movement within it. Whatever we meant by that, whatever you knew by that, you just knew that it was more than one. One is not enough. <laughs> and there was something of our hearts that said that um, planting and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and new churches, if you like, being spawned was what we were after. I guess some things don't ever go as fast as you'd like them to or in the way that you'd like them to. We've had ups and we've had downs. Has anybody ever had any downs along the way? Just might, might have. I think anybody that writes the book that just goes, and it was like this, you know, um, is either lying or God likes them more than us or something. <laughs> so we've had ups and downs. Um, but now we are, we are a larger congregation in Derby, but we've also planted into towns around. And more recently, we've said, felt God saying into cities. So we've planted Ben and his family moved down to Leicester five years ago, four years ago, three years ago. Well, moved or planted different things. <laughs> moved. Moved three years. Three years ago. Um, and so we've uh, got, and then Nottingham more recently. Um, and so we make up um, a kind of, uh, well, in, today, trendy, trendy today is, is a multi-site church, um, but we're not quite multi-site church. We're kind of a little bit of a group, if you like, of churches, but are very connected together. So that's still where we are. We also then have a number of other churches around the country that we give some sort of oversight to and um, work with. Again, not geographical, a bit like yourselves, sort of we've got some in Devon and some in Ipswich and some in, you know, which isn't very helpful for getting together. But, um, uh, but nonetheless, so uh, Jeff Colin in just recently to speak to Ali, it does feel like this is, this is very similar kind of feel to where we're at in, at this time. And um, if nothing else, I don't, I, I, you know, sometimes standing here, I think I'm, I'm speaking to you. I think, you know, you guys probably know as much about the things that I, I want to say as, as I do. But actually, there's something about mutual encouragement, isn't there? And fresh kind of angles or fresh uh, I, I, views on it. Um, just one other thing about myself, just so you know. Um, uh, three children, all married, 10 grandchildren. Can you believe that? What do you mean, yes? <laughs> Um, ten grandchildren at the moment. At the moment, my oldest daughter actually and her family live in Japan, and uh, they went out there years, some years ago. Uh, they need a church in Japan. They don't even call themselves missionaries anymore. They're they're like this is just our country. This is where we live, uh, which is pretty tough, um, but is um, uh, you know exciting as well. And uh, and I've got another daughter who lives in Worcester with her tribe and a son who's part of a church planting leads. So they're all kind of uh, involved in stuff around and in different parts of the world. Um, so, Ben, do you want to just quickly just say something about you? That would be helpful, because I brought Ben along today as, um, 
a carer. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I've been. Um, actually, Mark's been great to me over many years. I joined the church in Derby um, in 1999 um, as a. My wife and I graduated from university in, Le- in Leicester, where we're now church planting, leading. Moved to Derby, and then Mark and his wife took us under their wings straight away. And since then, we've been on this privilege of this journey. Um, into this um, idea of being involved in something that is bigger than ourselves and mm-hmm. war against against parochial thinking, mm-hmm. which has been a, a wonderful journey. So um, we grabbed that hold of something of the culture and something of the, the vision um, and have really been spoiled for anything else that since. So now my wife Esther and I, we have three daughters, uh, Molly, Josie and Lily, 10, uh, so 12, 10 and 8. She keeps changing, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and we're loving being planters in, in, in Leicester. We've actually tried to start to do our own sort of multi-site thing within the bigger thing. So we've planted into Hinkley and we've got something in Lottowick as well. And we're trying to work out how to make samples of gum. So love to learn from you guys and look forward to chatting with you. Great. Yeah. So I feel like I just want to kind of just talk a bit, if that's okay. Uh, Colin said he might interrupt, but I really do like if people want to sort of stop, pause, anything at any point. And if we don't get, if, if you don't, I will stop anyway and do a Q&A just to see how far we've got. So, okay. So the idea really is just to talk a little bit about developing people, which has within it developing leaders. Okay, so if you take the basic assumption, which I would, everybody has got the capacity to lead, the two things become the same thing. In fact, the same thing, the biblical word for it is actually discipleship. That's what it's about. That's what we're talking about. And I think the thing I just want to say right up front is that um, it is something you, some things you have to keep learning. You think you've learned them once, but you kind of learn them again. And God reminds you of them again and again. And this one is that our job is to build people, not to build the church. Now, as church leaders, guess what we fall into over and over again? That we think our job is to build the church. Let me just tell you, somebody else has got that job a bit better than you, okay? So our job is not to build the church. We kind of assume it is. We fall into the trap of going, you know, and because God's made us in his image and we are, some of us are builders by nature and so on, and we know there's an, an attribute of that, but fundamentally, we are not called to build the church. Here's what I believe. If you build people, the church gets built. Okay? If you build people, if that's the emphasis. My goal actually is not to try to build something here, but actually is to look at the people that God's bringing to us and giving to us and say, my job is to build these people. Uh, that fundamentally fits with what Jesus said. Absolutely. Go and make disciples. Go and build people. Yeah. And as they flourish and as they grow in whatever God's called them to do, Actually, that sets you free slightly as a church leader. Because if you feel like I'm building the church, every person that leaves you is a kind of failure on your part. If you see my job is to build people, then every person, whether they stay or whether they go, is a triumph. <laughs> if you've done that job, you know, I'm investing into you so that you can go and be all that God's called you to be. Um, 
There's a lady called Cara Fiorentino. I, heard, I, I watched a video of her a while ago. She um, was the CEO of Hewitt-Packard, and um, she spoke at one of the Bill Hybels conferences. And um, she's a Christian, she says. And she, she said this. She said, one of the highest callings of leadership is to release the potential in people. I love that. I thought, you know, there's all these things about leadership, about kind of going somewhere and being in charge or some things like that. And here she's saying, no, the highest calling of leadership is to release the potential in people. Now that means then, it doesn't matter what size your church is, it doesn't matter how many people you're, you're working with at this time, your highest goal is to say, I want these people to flourish. I want to put into them and, uh, and do what I can to, to see them fulfill all, all that goes on. Now the ultimate ideal for us is that we make disciples, that means people who are flourishing as followers of Jesus, we make disciples who are making disciples. Because when you start to see something like that happen, then you've got potential not for church growth, but for movement. And that little seed that was in our hearts years ago has never gone away. And uh, some things we've been frustrated by and some things we haven't quite seen the way we like it to. But the seed hasn't gone. And I still believe today that every church leader has to come to some question at some point in their life where they go, so what is the ultimate goal? So what's the goal of my leadership? And for most church leaders, they go, a big church, right? So I want to go like, how big? You know, how big is big? And how big is big enough? At what point do you feel like you're successful? Because a big church in England today isn't particularly big compared to Brazil, say, or something like that, you know? Uh, so how big is big? And actually, I think it's a, a kind of an irrelevant question. And I'd like to say, you know, when I hang up my boots or whatever it is that I do, I meet Jesus face to face. And um, I'd like him to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I'm not sure he's going to say, how many did you get in your church? How many did you know? I, I think he's going to be far more interested in, what did you do with what I gave you? Yeah. Okay? What did you do with it? What did you do with those that I gave you, those people that I gave you? Um, and uh, so, so I would suggest that if, if I want to step back and want to sort of hand over and other thing, it isn't a certain size that I want to do that to. Or when it gets to, you know, 500 or 1,000 or whatever, then I can let go. Actually, if there are signs of movement in it, I'd say that's success. There's success there. And then, then you, you translate that to different contexts and go, hey, it's very small there, but honestly, there's some movement. There's something that's just happening. There's the life of God in it. And uh, there's disciples being made and, and so on and so on. So just the first little bit, just to talk for a moment or two. I think if we want to be in a place where we're developing people, and that means developing leaders, then we want to build a culture that's got development in it all the way through. There's a culture of something where people are being developed. And that inevitably is simply this, that where you've got something which is static, there is far less energy or even reason to develop people. You know? There's far less kind of scope or there's far less uh, purpose 
where something has got movement within it, where there's things that are beginning to open up, develop, new things are happening, space gets created and actually development is a natural thing that happens. So, so the thing we've got to avoid most of all is a sense of becoming static, okay? And just, you know, and, you know, do you know what? Subtly it happens, but everything changes when a church starts to pause. And all of us hit times where we think, well, we're not really growing in the way we'd like to at the moment. There's a difference a little bit between growing and staticness. Because a church can actually still hit certain times where it plateaus as a numbers, but there can still be a huge amount of development going on. You know, development into the community around you, development of people into maturity and so on. But ultimately, I do believe with all my heart, healthy things grow. So if a church becomes healthy and so on, and if there is a, now we call it an apostolic impulse. It feels like that's because it just sounds good, doesn't it? You know, if there's an apostolic impulse, which means that somehow into that church, there is something which says we are called to more than just this. There's something beyond us. There's something beyond us. We started to preach this without knowing anything, really, you know, kind of just, you know. And I, I remember we just said there's something that happens in the beginning of Acts here. The spirit comes and then bang stuff starts to happen and so we began to i preached sort of three three main messages on this apostolic calling or something like that just thought if you put the word apostolic into anything it sounded better that's what i thought at the time so we didn't have apostolic we had apostolic children's work we had apostolic coffee and we had like you know anything we put apostolic on it just like has a, mm, a bit more substance to it um, so I was preaching on something which we didn't, didn't really know really what we were talking about. But in it, I went like, here was Paul's strategy. He did this. He said, he said, let's go, let's plant and let's build so that we can go and plant and build. So we can go and plant and build. And I thought it was just a little thing. But the leaders came to me after and said, that's it. That little phrase is ours. That's what we are called to do as a church, to go to plant and to build. Today, if you asked our church to say, what's the mantra of this church? They would go, go plant, build. You know, they kind of like make it, it's like it's a, it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> and it might mean nothing to anybody else. It might not be as clever as other people's, but I tell you what, it's ours. And it's that that keeps us on course because that's what God's called us to be as a people. And uh, if we hit staticness, if we kind of hit this, you know, sense where we're now just somehow settling in our relative success of different things, do you know, we start to we start to lose everything. And and one of the first things that happens is you start losing developing leaders because you kind of got leaders and they're usually quite good leaders. So, you know, there's no space being created in the same way. And so people find their their place out in the world a bit more and then and then that's wonderful it's it's a really important part of what I think we're called to do in terms of you know but eventually something starts to settle and so I think it's our job as leaders to keep a culture of back of development of growth and development now if we're not growing then we kind of need to be asking God and praying and looking for things and looking for intentional ways to keep the momentum and if you're at all unsure about that just get Colin Barron to come in and speak to you and speak to your leaders because you always do that
Um, I had a, just back to just building people for a second, um, I have these little revelations over the years, and um, my revelations are always sounded like a little bit simplistic, you know. Other people go, duh, yes, you know. But I was actually sitting in our church when it was really quite small. And when you've got a small church, you always want other people's, <laughs> what they've got. You know, if only I had, if only I had. And I remember sitting there, and one day the Lord just simply said to me, build with the stones you've got. Okay. That's what you've got. It's no good wringing your hands and saying, <laughs> they're not very good, you know, or there aren't enough, or I've got no musicians amongst them. Or it doesn't, you know, whatever it is that you might say, and believe me, I think we've all said that something, if only we just had. God said, build with the stones you've got. So I've got nobody who's really leadership quality. You're going to have to be a leader. <laughs> You're going to have to be a leader. So, hey, guess what's happening here straight away? People are being developed. They're being developed in a way that they wouldn't be if everything was filled. So I think, take that one. Build with the stones you've got. That's all you've got? Build with them. In fact, if you prove faithful with those, <laughs> not only does God watch over that and say, you're faithful with small things, but actually you create something that other people are attracted to. Because <coughs> there is where people get developed, you see? So something happens, I think, in, in those kind of environments. Now, there is a second revelation that followed on the back of it. Build with the stones you've got and pray for what you don't have. It's legitimate, folks, to pray for what you don't have. It's going like, God, we have no young people. We have no something you know whatever we've got no worship leaders here at all well i'm going well i got to build the stones i've got which means it's me on my guitar and my three chords you know but i'll tell you what if that is you and you like it was me and my three chords it 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 provokes some intense prayer you know and you say i've got i cannot go and make things happen i can't go and pluck things off trees but I know, I know that I know that Jesus said, I will build my church. And so I can appeal to him. And he says, come on, let's get laborers for the harvest. We all keep praying for the harvest. Isn't what he says. It doesn't say pray for the harvest. It's pray for laborers for the harvest. It's legitimate, folks. It isn't legitimate to go poaching illegally of anybody else. I wonder if I could give a little bit of permission here, if it's okay. Uh, if you have got faith for somebody else that is not actually being developed somewhere else and you do it properly <laughs> and through the right channels, I like seeing people move from place to place if it brings them alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I say to people in our own church, you are so stuck here. I wish you weren't, but you are. In actual fact, I think you're going backwards by being in our church. God, terrible thing to say. And they say, you know, the different things have happened that caused this and the other. I said, you know what? Every pastor hates for anybody to leave their church. But I think it'd be good if you go. Because if you could go somewhere else and flourish, that's got to be better than dying in our church. Now, you do have to have a bigger heart here. You have to be quite secure in that. But I think it's possible to do that sometimes. 
And therefore, it makes it possible not to go stealing and nicking from, you know, all those <laughs> in the way that you shouldn't. But it is possible to say, if you came with us, I could bring this person alive. There's a guy we've been with the last couple of days. It's just thinking of Sam. He, um, this young lad, <laughs> was an intern on, in, our, in our church in Derby. Ben was leading him. He probably would go at number one as the biggest waster. Waster of everything. Waster of time. Of you know, He was just shocking. He probably spent more time drunk than not drunk. This is an intern in our church, you know, right? And his, our grace for him, guess what, was like about down here. In, in the end, he just disappears and, you know. Uh, um, lo and behold, he turns up like five years later, leading a church that is growing like anything. And he's like passionate for God and he's full on. And, he, and I'm going, we made him. <laughs> That's what we are. <laughs> <laughs> And the truth is, I'm, look, I'm looking at him. We've been at this gathering just the last few days, and he's there as a leader. He would never have made a leader in our church. There was too many things going on that would never have let him actually emerge. I'm afraid to say that, but that's the truth. I don't think he would have made it. He needed to find some space. He needed to find somewhere else where people didn't have a kind of a view on him. He needed to find God in a whole new way, and he found a new environment, and he's flourished. And today, we, we still go, it can't, can't be true this is the same guy he's got a better beard than you by the way I just want to say that but, uh, but <laughs> only slightly <laughs> come on come on <laughs> yeah. three days growth so see what the next three days can bring you know um but actually, that's true. Anyway, sometimes a different environment brings things out of people that they wouldn't find in other ones. And we've got to be big enough to see this is about a movement. This is about a movement that's our movement. Yes, that's what we would like. But actually, we belong to an even bigger movement. And it is like, you know, to, for God to be moved. Now, if I was to just, uh, I don't want to teach youth sort of to suck eggs into sort of basic, basic things. But we have one ever such a simple kind of model for developing people, for discipleship. It's probably something you may have seen before. But if I could draw it on the board, we put it into a square so that people kind of, we can now go, we're taking you around the square and they know what we're talking about. So we put a bit of shape into it. Um, does, this, does this sort of mean anything to you at all? Okay. Four stages of Jesus with discipleship. Four stages of his, how, he's, how he did discipleship, how he walked with, with people. And stage one was um, he did it and they watched. Do you know this? Some of you. Quite important, actually, that that's sort of just I'll do it anyway, just to sort of make it clear what we're doing. So this is a sort of a phase, if you like, early days of Jesus. He calls his disciples. And the first part of the process was he did it. They just watched. They were just hanging around and just seeing what it. He turns water into wine. They had no actual part of that whatsoever. But they watched something happening. They watched it being modeled. They watched the way that Jesus did things. So he did it. And they watched. But then you come to a sort of a second phase. It doesn't stay like that. That's the point, really. And that's where um, he, he did it. 
and they helped. So, so what happens here is that um, Jesus um, starts to say, there's a couple of key moments. I think it's the feeding of the 5,000 is one of those key moments where they come to Jesus and say, what are you going to do? And he says, you feed them. Right? Now, actually, Jesus still did the bit. He did the miracle. He took the bread, he broke it and so on. But this is probably one of the first times that they, the disciples, went and they, the miracle started, it must have started to happen in their hands. It must have happened for them. So it's quite a big difference here because this is now, he isn't just doing it on his own, but they are helping. They are working with him. He's, he's um, um, doing it. Then it actually doesn't stay like that either. Then there's a, a third stage where now they did it and he helped. So now something shifts as we go along in this process. And now what he says is, okay, 70 or 72, not quite sure which, but 70 or 72, now you go. You go do it. Now, I'm still behind you. I'm giving you the authority. I'm giving you instructions. I'm giving you all kinds of things. You do it, and I'll help you. Okay? But there is a final stage where we're heading towards, and that is they did it, and he left. Okay, so whether you've seen that before or not so it doesn't matter too much it's just <laughs> to be clear this is actually just extremely important for us that we are taking people on a journey and if you miss out any one of those stages it doesn't quite work in the way that it should <laughs> this is the jesus model this is like this is the way so you don't start suddenly by going here's a job it's yours walk away that's not discipleship Discipleship is starting off saying, watch, just come with me and watch. That was my first experience ever. I had a leader. I was kind of young. Um, in fact, I was young and single, which was really good in those days to be young and single. And he'd say to me, do you want to come? I'm going to be preaching at another church. Would you like to come and carry my bags for me? I'm going, yes, please. I had one motive really for that was to see if there's any nice girls in that church where he would be speaking, you see. And so he'd, uh, terrible, isn't it? Terrible. None of you were <laughs> remotely like that. Um, in fact, I remember one time he just, he, he would do this instinctively, that, that leader of mine. He'd do it instinctively. And so, so that, there was that. So if I went with him, I'd just sit there and watch and just sort of like see what's going on. But actually he wouldn't let me get away with that after a while. He'd say, you know, so I would be sitting there. I remember actually clearly, you know, one day I'm sitting at the back I'm having a look around, you know, just looking at well, who, who's here, you know. And my, my friend, he's at the front preaching, and he suddenly says, Mark, come and share. And I'm going, what? What? You know? He says, come on, come on, come and share. I'm going, no, no, no. You know, he says, no. I said, what? And he says, whatever you're thinking about right now, come on, bro. <laughs> just whatever's on your heart right now. And it's kind of deep end treatment type things, but in an environment. But he would, he would do it instinctively. He'd kind of like say, come on, I want you with me, not just to watch, but to help. Um, many leaders get to this point. <laughs> many leaders 
actually like not just to do what they're doing, but like to be helped in what they're doing. Um, I think going around this corner is one of the hardest things for leaders to do. And I, do, I don't want to keep saying it, but I do commend you, and particularly Colin, because I think this is some of the bits you do really, really well. But to come around this corner is a big shift <laughs> because traditional ministry says, I do it and you help. I'm the ministry, I'm the leader, I do it and you help. Leadership development, developing people is actually different to that. It's around the next corner. It goes, you do it and I help. Okay? And, uh, and, and I think that's where uh, like, many leaders just kind of stall at this point because they can't quite give it away. They can't quite let them go do. And of course, there's the risk bit, isn't it? Isn't it? Around, do you understand how I mean? Around, around this corner is the bit of risk where you go, yeah, but can they do it? Actually, they can't do it like I can do it. <laughs> they're not gonna, they're just not gonna be able to do it, you know. And, I, and, I'll, and, and sometimes people will take you around the corner and rescue it and come back again, take it back off them, which actually ends up doing harm to the people. So it makes them feel like, oh, I was given it and then taken away from it. Confidence gets eroded, you know. So I think that part for us as leaders is kind of crucial that we get that. Just, uh, Justin. There's another side to it, which will good comments on for people who abdicate. So it says they did it and he helped. Yeah. <laughs> Have you noticed people who actually give people the job, so they're quite good at offloading it? So leaders who just go, have that. Yes. And then, so you jump to number four. Yes, yes. So I was, a uh, great point, I think, you see, because I think you shortcut any of this, it doesn't work. <laughs> so I even say, if you don't do the first bit properly, which you think, well, we don't want to do that. Well, I think you do. I think you want to say, come with me, and I want to show you, just watch. <laughs> just stick around me. I am not the finished article, but just stick around me. Paul did it. He pointed to Jesus, and he pointed to himself. Hello. <laughs> you go, hey, follow me as I'm following him. And I like that particularly because I think there's a bit more I could say on this later, but it's like, follow me in my brokenness and my lack of perfection as I follow Christ. You know what I mean? So there's something there. So I think, yes, there's a possibility. And if you shortcut these things and it's like over to you and it is like, actually, I've I've just gone to four. So that is a very, very important part of this, is that we put people into place, but actually we're still there for them. And that delicacy of, of kind of like being there for, but not interfering as much, you know, that's a, that's a skill that, that takes a lifetime to learn, but I think is also different for every single person. Because there are some people who kind of just hit the ground and you go, I hardly need to do anything here. You know, there's others you have to be hugely supportive and so on too. And it matters a lot on their maturity. It matters a lot on their gifting. It matters a lot on their, on the strength of relationship as, as well. So does that answer that sort of question? Um, I think actually it is a, it is a problem. If you're into, if you're like quite task f- focused, 
if you're functional as a person, I'm after one thing here. Ten churches in two years. Okay? Right, off, have one, over you go. You know, you have one over there, have one, have one. And you're not taking them rightly through the process, I would suggest the chances of them succeeding are going to be much lower. Um, there is a saying as well that simply is slower is better as well. For those of us that want to go, we want to go now, I think actually trusting that your investment into someone might take a bit longer than you'd like, but will pay more dividends in the end. So people say to me, how long does it take to go around the square then? It depends massively on what we are talking about, doesn't it? How long does it take? Well, Jesus took three years, full time, with them with all the time, with him, them with him all of the time, and he's the Messiah. Okay. So, but if you want a model, three years would be good. But if this process applied to everything that we're doing about everything. And if it was even for simple tasks, it was like simple things that we're looking to do. And I don't want to keep using examples from in the church, but just say, you know, you're in charge of um, youth ministry. So say, Ben, you know, I want you to come and lead youth. He says, I don't know anything about youth. That doesn't matter. You're the right person. We want to develop you there. Um, actually, go, going round that square could be shorter <laughs> according to the task. But when we have in our heads that our goal, if you like, is the transferring to somebody else so that they can then do what I used to do, this idea that you're doing yourself out of a job continually, it's kind of a good theory, but it is actually what I think to build a culture of development is something you should be carrying all the time. Uh, four churches four things that you're doing within churches if there's not some sense of I shouldn't be doing what others can do I should be doing what others can't do therefore if I am doing what others could do I'm wasting my time and I'm blocking others okay I don't know if that came out right but that's sort of you got the gist of that so I should be continually looking at that how do I say I actually should not be I should be aiming for in X years' time, I'm not even doing this. Somebody else is doing it. And they're never going to be quite right. They're never going to be quite the same as you. But that was exactly the case. They could never be Jesus, could they? In fact, you know, would you give them? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you look at this bunch and you go, really, really? The future of the bride of Christ given to these guys? He didn't even point a leader amongst them. It was just like, I mean, we get so hung up on succession at the moment. You know, who's going to be the successor? Because churches like ours, uh, many of them all across the country, networks, streams, all of it, all born in the charismatic movement, young leaders catapulted in, they're all coming to this age now where they're either retiring, falling over, dying, or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, succession, succession. And it's like, who's the next one? There isn't a next one. There isn't one. Often there isn't a one. You know? um, and sometimes there is. Sometimes there is. But I think that's, that's a kind of a, a thing that where every one of us should be looking at what we're doing and saying, I need to be taking somebody around the square. 
if I haven't been doing it for now, I should be doing it now. Maybe we should do, for those of us who have been like number one senior leader for a long time, maybe we should take a few people with us around the square. So you're not actually saying you're the one, but let's just see what God does in this process. Let's see what God anoints as we go through. Um, I've, I've lost track of time anyway, but should I just pause for a minute? Is that right to do yeah. that? Um, did you want to add anything? You could. I could. Is there any, any questions so far, anything that anybody would like to say? <laughs> yes? So on that bare bottom, so the they did it, we haven't said. What's the kind of... I think the word authority might come into it a little bit, but how much shaping should the one who's helping give at that stage? What would it look like to do that? Okay. Do you, could you do something there? Yeah, yeah, good. That's a good question. The, um, this, okay, so there's, there's, with this, there's all kinds of tensions in play tonight. So the, um, often when we talk about leaders, we talk about what's your, what kind of leader are you? What's your, what's your leadership style? Yeah, and you get a range. You get, so you, you have some people who are very authoritarian leaders. Yeah, I think this plays into your um, and then you get some who are, you know, they're kind of, their, their leadership style is very consensus oriented and, and driven in, in that way. You know, we, the goal is consensus all the time. I think the interesting thing with Jesus, when you look at this, is that uh, here, he's Jesus here is very directive. Yeah? Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. There's no discussion. This is where we're going. Come, don't come, you're called, but this is where we're going. Highly directive, authoritarian leadership from Jesus. By the time it gets to here, and by the way, this is the key corner to get around. <laughs> right? This is consensus. So by the time we get to John 15, what did Jesus say to the disciples? I no longer call you servants, servants but friends. Yeah. So he's he's equipped he's quick equipped them and inputted into them to such a point to whereby now he's actually he's opening up the floor to them now. He's not he's not interested at all in what they think at the beginning. Why would he? They know nothing, yeah? So if this is what we're doing, this is where we're going. By the time we get around to there, actually part of his coaching and training effort is to draw stuff out of them. So I, I think this is a challenge for leaders, because some people say I'm a, I'm a directive leader, it's just the way I am, others I'm a consensus leader. Uh, the truth is, if you want to build something and grow something, and you want to be like Jesus, which I believe is the goal, right? Uh, then you've got to change the way you do things. You've got to have that self-awareness to know this is my natural bent, and, and then you've got to rein yourself in. So if you're if you're naturally a directive leader, you're okay. You're a lot of a lot of authoritarian type leaders, they're really great at starting stuff, yeah. But they don't they don't often get to this point because they, they don't know how to draw others in and to let go. They they just can't do it. But at least they get started. The challenge for people who are more consensus driven often is that they don't even get they don't even get started. 
If you've got a vision for something, and you're really, and God's really clearly spoken about it, and you start asking people who know nothing what they think straight away, you're immediately diluting what, God, what God's giving you. you. You can't do that. Okay? So, so the way you lead has to change. Is this answering your question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? It has to change. And Jesus did that. Now, I don't, I don't think many leaders think like that. I think most leaders just, they just lead how they lead. And they're not really thinking about A, how to develop people, or the, the style that they're using in the context of it. And when Jesus is in this stage in particular, this is really all about coaching. This stage. Really, really coaching. So he's having to really, really heavily invest into them, give up, again, he's having to let go of loves that they're really invest. Because it's, this is where you, you know, you've got these guys eagerly following someone, and they're like, yeah, yeah, let me have a go, let me have a go, let me have a go. It's only when you let them have a go that they go, I have no idea what I'm doing now, and I feel like that, you do do. And so you have to get alongside them really close. Yeah. So again, there's a shift going on, so I think something about that. That's, just keep on that a little bit, because I, I don't think, I, I know it, but I've never heard it quite like that. That actually you've got to shift yeah. to, to different leadership styles. Yeah. You can't actually say, this is me. And that's it. That's it. Yeah. And I think, I wonder if actually how many, t- we, we wouldn't quite say it like that. Yeah. We should. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're not developing people otherwise, are you? You're not actually, you're not actually drawing them in. And, I mean, if I was going to keep going, I'd say one of the key things here is uh, invitation and challenge. So, this is why I say there's tensions, because um, authoritarian or consensus, I appreciate there's more leadership styles, I'm just making a point with extremes. Um, if I was to my guess would be, if I was to say, in this room, um, how, do you, how do you handle situations of conflict with people? Um, are, you, are you strongly relational and are you invitational in your approach to things? Or are you um, kind of really very direct and challenging? Probably, there'd probably be a 70-30 split. Most people would be uh, lean towards the relational thing, don't really like the challenge. Yeah. Let's ask the question. Go on in. Okay. Yeah. Hands up if you think that you are directional. Uh, challenge. So cha- go with challenge. Challenge. Prefer invitation yeah, or challenge. I'm sure you mean by invitation. In relation to what? Yeah, that would be. So, and in. Challenge. Very challenging, that was. Yeah, if you are you more? Are, are you really just looking for everyone to get along well, um, or do you actually like to stir stuff up a lot? Yes. Okay. <laughs> stir. I really like to stir stuff up. I just think it's interesting just to see. Stirrers, come on. <laughs> and then relational. Relational. That's me. You see. There you go. So that's about seventy-two. Ten out of four. So I think. I, I think this is where um, I, I actually this on this I felt like the Lord was set, I had a sense because we were coming here today that there was something prophetic for you you guys around this idea of invitation challenge because uh, it's it's something that needs to be um, brought into balance if you like uh, we would have to get 
isn't part of the challenge of going from two to three that somewhere along two, you're also telling people how you want it done? Yes. Whereas when you get to three, it's not completely consensus, is it? But you're saying the object is to get everyone welcomed, or the object is to reach out. But you don't necessarily, you're giving more freedom to how it gets done, so people do it the way you don't want it done. The point is, by here, the culture's set. Yeah, so people have got a, a say into it. But not the methodology, it's slightly different. So there you go. That's what I think. I think what discipleship is about was about just what you said there, that the DNA, the core things, the, the thing that actually is like, this is what makes you a disciple, this is what makes you one of our families, this is, what makes us, is actually set here and here. By here, it is an empowering, but it is entrusted because... So I can trust you. Methodology almost Absolutely. inevitably will change. Yeah. That's as, and that's the challenge. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so my, my point with this um, is that this is really where the hard yards happen a lot of the time. People get drawn in. And you know, you can, there's phrases out there, you can't take a 10 ton truck over a 5 ton bridge. Um, but if you, are, if you don't like to embrace conflict, and you've got, to, you've got to learn to do challenge. And if you're so brutal with everything, then you're going to kill everyone and you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. So Jesus, Jesus did it beautifully and modeled it all the time. I think it's Luke 16, you see it best. Um, he, he asked the disciples, um, who do you say that I am? And there's this beautiful moment with Peter. We all know it well. And Jesus just loves on them. And you know, I love you, Peter. You are my rock. And on this rock, I will fill my church. It's quite challenging. But it's highly invitational, very warm. It's a beautiful moment. A few verses later, get behind me, Satan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, how many of you said that to people in your church? <laughs> it's, a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? But Jesus was not afraid to do invitation and challenge all the time. So not only do we have people who like to be directive or consensus but then we have some that love to be very invitational, some that love challenge and guess what, these kind of link up a little bit but if you can't calibrate that well, then you don't actually do the real hard jobs of developing and I had a prophetic sense that God just wanted to throw that out to some of you guys today to say, but perhaps for a lot of you that's where you're at fit stuff and I think the Lord, my encouragement the thing that I've really learned on in this is um is to learn to um, live in a place of um, almost constant, low-level conflict and challenge with everybody all the time. That's <laughs> 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 what it does, is it builds trust and it means that you're, um, you're dealing with marbles rather than hitting mountains that then you can't get, get over. And in the end, you don't have much conflict at all. I, wanna, I don't want to actually pause here because... I, I think Ben's absolutely right, and it sounded like it didn't quite land totally, but I am a non-confrontational person, right? I just haven't liked confrontation. It's the one thing I've had to learn to be a leader. So, come on, guys, those of you who put your hands up, it's a, it's a, like, I wouldn't naturally lean towards this way. You just have to do it after a bit, but usually you have to do it when it escalates, right? <laughs> So if you learn to do low-level confrontation, a little bit more speaking the truth, a little bit more, you know, and some of us like my style of things, 
actually have to kind of learn to do that, it actually makes it a bit easier. Exactly, when it gets bigger as well. So, go on. <laughs> so, I just, I'm loving this. I really love this. I've been involved in this for years, so it's, it's just really, really good. But, um, I, I'm sitting here looking, I'm thinking, Jesus, it's awesome. Okay, so, so, <laughs> 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 do the wheel, do the wheel. Open the belt to see. <laughs> I'm going to come and nail it at the front now. So, yeah, of course. What we, we all want to get to the point where we're, where we're something like Jesus. You know, so, so this, this model kind of is great. But I want people to be, that I'm raising up, to, be, to do stuff I never do, to be kind of better than me. Um, oh, didn't he say that? Yeah. Didn't you, didn't yeah. he say that? Mm. Uh, didn't he say greater things yeah. are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. <laughs> no, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Keep going, because I like. I guess my question is, at what point? Because I, I can see this is great, but is there is there? When I was originally looking at it, I was thinking, oh, great, well, I'll end up with people that can do what I do uh-huh. as, as I leave. But at what point can we release people to innovate, to do stuff that we could never do? So that's, that's kind of like, you know... That's good, isn't this it? Produce the... Because that's where you get growth, isn't it? Where suddenly people are doing stuff that... Sorry, I've been say that, but I think isn't some of this around the fact that this isn't individual leaders that actually do this as teams as well? Oh, Yes. Um, so actually, so when I look at that, I think, well, actually, sometimes I'm not coaching. Um, yeah. Sometimes I'm giving somebody else the coaching job. Although on an individual discipleship basis, or when, you, when you're a small church and you've only got one leader, then they end up doing all of it, uh, or if you're in a small group. But I think there is, there is tremendous power in team approach uh, yeah. to actually getting that loop going, and actually then generating as an engine, as opposed to... Just one person doing the loop all the time. Yeah. Well, Jesus did that with 12. Yeah. Mm. So he did it with team. Yeah. Mm. No, I mean, I mean, but Jesus, like you said. The problem with all doing it. Yeah. And that well, it multiplies, doesn't it? Do you want, I've got a comment on that. Do you have one more? Um, I don't know what time I'm supposed to do anything like, but should we just keep going for a bit? Let's finish. Let's try and finish one thread of. Do you want the heat to go? I think I'm shivering. It's consensus. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's confrontation. What I sound. Wait a minute. What I sound last is we want people to innovate. But so we were talking about. Let me draw another little thing. <laughs> Inflow. Um, Information. Uh, Innovation. Imitation. Yes. Imitation. Yeah, I was just going to do that. <laughs> 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 do you know what? I'm just going to leave him now. Is it? <laughs> An ex- example. So you do. <laughs> Load of stuff, and then you can have a go, don't you? But you've not really, um, you just don't do it as well, do you? because you've not seen it. 
the whole of the New Testament of imitation, might just refer to it. Mm. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah. So there's something about, I think there's a humility required in, in submitting to being taken around this yeah. by somebody else so that you learn to imitate. And when you can do it well, that, then that qualifies you to innovate and take it beyond. But if you haven't learned to imitate in the first place, <coughs> then you probably are not going to innovate very well. So that's what, that was exactly what I was going to say. I think if there is a process that I think Jesus models, but it's actually there in, right through Scripture, over and over again, actually, um, Moses, Joshua, etc., etc., it is that, actually, is that instead of just going straight from, okay, here I am, this is what we do, now you go and have a go and do what you like, there is something of coming through this. Now, we don't quite like the imitation idea, because we're British and all that, you know. But nonetheless, it's actually profoundly important for the discipleship process. No, actually, I want you to come with me, imitate me. Like, start to get the absolute... Now, what are they imitating? They're not imitating my habits or my kind of foibles and so on. (coughs) Imitate my way of life. Imitate my faith, the thing, the journey that I'm on. Imitate that. Imitate even the fact that I'm actually not a complete finished person or leader. Imitate that. Now then, as you begin to get hold of all those things, you are absolutely free now to innovate. <laughs> In fact, it should be the goal. The goal of, multiplication, of, of, um, of discipleship is not just continuing the line, it's multiplication. It always was. It was like, and you know, um, you know, you start with one, and it was always intended. It becomes multitudes. So that seed of something that's going from one thing to, to has to be with us all the time. But the idea is that you don't just go, oh, go and have a go. In your lack of knowledge, lack of being discipled, and so on, it's unfair on you, and it's unfair on the world out there, because you're you're actually. Uh, <coughs> You're dangerous, you know. Whereas if what you've caught, and I wanted to do this in the next one, but we might jump ahead. If what you've caught is servant leadership, see, that's what, that's what, that's, that's what happens when you shortcut and you go from directive, I know how to do this, I just watch him. He's always directive, bang, I'm going straight over here, you know. Uh, you miss the process of saying, no, I want you to understand what, how, and why, and what I'm about, and then off you go, and and honestly, go do it your way. I mean, I, I actually love the whole idea of that. It's like it somehow, it's got multiplication in every way. It's got multiplication of styles and directions and things. Certainly, generationally, that's what's got to happen. Uh, my generation serves the purpose of God in this generation, in my generation. The next generation must serve the purpose of God there. Now, what do I want them to have? I don't want them to have Graham Kendrick songs, you know, and you must do it like that. I had a tambourine when we started off. I still happen to believe that true anointing comes into a meeting when tambourines are allowed back in, you know. (laughs) This generation, they have a, they frisk me at the door, so that you know, I mean, they kind of like have a, they have a, a metal detector, so that I can't, you know, because like, so, so you kind of go, okay, have, have, but what I want them to be is worshippers, right? I want to have a heart of worship, 
<laughs> so styles and things, they must change. We're, we're crazy, you know, we've just become irrelevant if we don't change. But what I want them to do is I want you, and that's why discipleship gets a bit kind of, it gets like complicated in one sense because if we try to disciple them into too much detail, it begins to be cultish. It's not just be a servant leader, but be a servant leader and you have to do this and you can't wear that and you just do that and you mustn't go there. That is legalism to the next generation. See? So I, I want to strip it back. I want to go, what are the three or four things I want them to get? <laughs> Can I just make a... I, I was with... Uh, I started out with Nicky Gumbel years ago and it's, he, he, he nailed this in a different way, which I think is helpful. He said to everybody, do Alpha like we do it. He said, literally, we know what we're doing, just follow everything that we do. He said, everybody keeps coming to me and says, we can't do six, we've got ten, we've got to do six, we can't do the weekend away. You know what I mean? He said, I just want to say, if you do it our way, you'll get what we're trying to do. Then do it your way. That's it. That's uh, it. That's exactly that's it. That's it. I think the sky person was scared of actually saying, preach this long, do this, worship, lead this way. Um, you know what I mean? We're not actually, we, we, we don't. We're scared it's because we, we, we lean towards invitation or challenge. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, just, just another angle on the same. But that's a, that's a very good point. And I think I understood that when, because I'm Nicky Gumbel, has the same conversation. And other people who run certain things, they go, if you don't do it the way we tell you to, you're actually adulterating it before you've got it. So, uh, and then you'll, you kind of lose the heart of what it's about. So I understand that. And I do think that is part of that triangle thing of, no, no, do it this way. Then if you must innovate, <laughs> you know, and then, and it, you know, even then there's sort of certain parameters that you want to put around it. But I would want to do the same with discipleship. I want to go like, actually, there are some parameters, folks. You are not a Christian if you don't behave like this. <laughs> That isn't a follower of Jesus. So you must do this. Whatever your generation, whatever your culture, whatever your style, whatever your personality profile, you must. So I go like to people say, oh, well, I'm not much of a worshipper. No, there's not even a, there's no room for that. So to say you don't like singing is one thing. You stand there with your hands in your pockets, that's another, you know. But to say I don't do worship, uh-uh. See, I'm saying that's not, you know. So I can be quite directive, <laughs> if you like, now about absolute core things and hope that they understand them. And then you allow the innovation to take place as a result, you know. So. Yeah. Well, just, uh, quick, uh, I'm not sure that you need to do all the, the trial. The good leaders should recognise innovation. So that when you when you're relating with people, you recognise if something they they might bring something from God and you you can say yes, <coughs> you catch it in your spirit straight away and you recognise that that's an innovation, something you haven't thought about. This person may be a new Christian. They don't have to go years from information to imitation to innovation. You know, good leaders should recognise that young Christians can innovate. Catch something which we have. I think push back on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go on in. Well, I push it back. Two of us. It depends on the context. Yeah. I think we're talking here about 
training people into things. So, um, yeah, just to give you... Yeah, so I'll take it from a different... It's a slightly different thing, yeah. So, very quick example, we did, uh, we, did uh, um, we went on a training thing with a number of church, big churches a few years back, and um, there was an appeal made to us at the very start of it, effectively, to learn to imitate before you innovate. Um, big churches led by big characters, first three-day session, lots of information and an appeal. Don't just go and do what we've said, because you, you'll fail. Yeah. Nobody listened, came back six months later, they'd all set up all these new missional communities, they set all these missional communities up. And we'd go around the room and we've got 15, we've got 20, we've got the... Ah, it was great. And then they did the teaching, sent us away. Um, we came back six months later, and then there was a feedback again, and they were all going, ah, oh, we realised we really messed this up, didn't know what we're doing, we've closed all of them. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a kind of a real big lesson for some very capable people that actually you might want to just learn how somebody else does something well before you try and innovate on it. The other comment I just want to quickly make on this was, um, this isn't just about skills then, is it? It's about, it's about culture, it's about character, it's about all kinds of things. An example being, and I've seen this a few times, you may um, have a church that needs a leader, and you come across a someone who's <coughs> led churches for 30, 40 years, or whatever, that's a long time, it? but clearly a capable leader, so you say, well, we don't need to take them around the square, because they're a capable leader, we can just put them in to lead this church. They might have some skills, but what they haven't necessarily got is culture and DNA, yeah? and so they kill the church. So there's something about, actually, um, in a... In any context you come into, being willing to um, submit yourself to learn afresh about the context you find yourself in, not just to go, I've got the skills to do that. There you go. I'm really glad you said that, because I thought there was a stage just before one, because the, the, the course of disciple making disciples of all nations. Uh-huh. And so all nations means so many different contexts, languages, cultures, and things. So yeah. the, the observation first, the willingness to learn first before being directed. The reason I wanted to come back is not to push down, because uh, but because uh, I, I think there isn't two sides to that, isn't there? Because I think people who can innovate sometimes can you can get a bit nervous about wanting to disciple that because you, it's outside of your knowledge, and I think that sometimes people are left <laughs> undiscipled. Because, uh, there's two things. You're either, they're either slapped down <laughs> because the person doesn't understand, mm. or it's over kind of uh, well, I, I, it's beyond what I can do. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I have not got any right to take you <laughs> under my wing. And so, and I, so I just that's why I just was interested mm. to keep because it's a great comment actually because I mm. do think. You know, so many people with, who can innovate get pushed down. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, if we don't actually help them to be servant leaders, well, they might not be leaders at all. Yeah, yeah. But you can. I love that, what you're saying about the fact that we can learn from them and listen to them, and they've got ability to be creative. As Ben says, I think it's slightly different to, to honouring that in a person, which is actually valuing them from day one to saying actually there's a bit of a process for something that's going on here 
And you could, I mean, it's such a simple model, it's going to be a little bit, you know, <laughs> oversimplified in some ways. But you could say that for taking someone around the square for skills, and that's a kind of almost like an apprenticeship, a kind of a, you know, whatever. But actually, God is far more interested in your heart <laughs> and character. So I, when I talk about this, I'm most interested in what kind of a person are you going to be? And ultimately, leadership is um, I, can, I can take you round for leadership development. I can do other things. But at the heart of leadership still is not roles and functions and skills. It's actually the kind of person that you are. And um, so just to throw another one, just to sort of, you know, is I think the purest form of, of discipleship is parenting. Okay. So um, that's why... This thing about why do we behave differently there to there to there? <laughs> you must. You've got to adapt. Because if you took this as parenting and you said, like my three-year-old, I am very directive with, you know? <laughs> no, you don't, etc. You know that. If you keep behaving like that to an 18-year-old... You, you crush them, you lose them, or you make them totally dependent on you. All of them are wrong. I see lots of them today, by the way, still. That's still what parents still do. I see far too much codependency and all that stuff going on. So if you stay behaving with a... The thing is, the whole point of parenting, which we kind of just know that we know, is that you treat certain people there, that stage there, like that. But you must start to talk a little bit differently and treat them a bit differently then you must start to say there's jobs to do in the house what am I doing there not just getting jobs done putting some DNA into you training your character and then you're saying actually this is yours this is your something or other you know and uh, you need to own it and so on so that when we reach the goal of 18 you know you've got no choice but to sort of let go now see the whole point about this is which I love this bit, is that it says, and then he left. But his final parting words are, and by the way, I'm going to be with you always. So I say to my kids, 18, that's it. <laughs> you know, get out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Wish they would, you know, at first. Um, and I said, and we're always going to be here. You know, it doesn't stop the relationship. It just changes it. But if ever you cause any relationship to just become static, to stop at that point, it'll, it'll go wrong, <laughs> you know. So I have to learn uh, with some people to be a bit more directive early on in it, you know. But you just know that you know that that's got to change. So that's a longer process. I am convinced that that's what parenting is essentially what discipleship is, to train up a child in the way they should go. So that, off you go, innovate. Go be who you are. Don't be who I am, but be who you are. But get these things into your life so that you can flourish into who you are. Sorry, there's another question. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, obviously, still in the room. I, I, I just have a question. Um, you Got any suggestions of how you can address that? 
think that's a good question. So Ben is going to answer that one. <laughs> while, I, while I think. <laughs> For example, do you mean you release someone to lead something and you realise they haven't been trained properly or something like that? But, Carrie, yeah, look, I love this. Really good stuff. But I'm just thinking that we're not all starting today, first day in. You know, there's lots of people have many years in here of working with different people around us and and, and, and yet, with some people, they're, they're actually released into your yeah. team somehow, whether it's because you jumped, you didn't know this stuff, whatever reason. Yeah. I'm just asking, is there any advice that you give us to, to re-engage at this level? Is that, is that possible? Yeah, to, good. To re-engage at this level, maybe not something else? I would think there's loads of people in our churches that actually we know are independent... <laughs> Because they've basically not, and they're doing stuff that is marginally okay, <laughs> but we don't know what to do. We so want to assist them, what do you want to help them? Well, my, 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 response, my response to that is I don't know where I've landed it before, but I, I, I have a sense coming in today prophetically, and I'm not primarily a prophet by the way, that that is an issue for. But you don't need to be a genius to work it out. It's an issue everywhere in some sense. But I sense it was a particular issue for this room today. Um, there might be a revelation and a, a bit of a light bulb around something like that. And I think the answer, the answer is that's hard, but it comes back to this invitation and challenge. Mm -hmm. So if there's situations where you know, you know as a leader that you're somehow overseeing or looking at something and it's not quite right, um, are you prepared and equipped? to actually do the challenge that's required? And are you prepared and equipped to do that relationally and well? So there's a whole other tool that we could talk about. You might be familiar with the five dysfunctions of a team, Patrick Lizzioni, I don't know if you're familiar with that, um, which is about, maybe we should do that later or something. <laughs> <laughs> You've got two types of questions, you leave it, and you, and you just let it not be very good. Or you challenge it, and you challenge it well. So the question is, um, are you um, willing to challenge it, and are you equipped to challenge it well? Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Mark said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 93. See you next time.